0: It's a lovely cool day today, it's only supposed to get up to 97 in Colorado City, and it's our last cool day, it appears, for a while. I checked the 10-day forecast, and we're supposed to be up around 105 and 6, and I think even 7, uh, over 100 most of the time in the next 10 days, with almost no possibility of precipitation. So enjoy your last cool day, I guess, today for some time. Now, the last few weeks I've gone over primarily Mark and his account of how to start being aware of the end times from Christ uh, discussing the temple and how it would be knocked down. We touched on Matthew 24 a few times and into Luke 21, which are all three parallel accounts of the same talk he gave. And certain detail is added from one to the other to get a more complete picture of what he said. Uh, and we see the leaves coming on the trees, I think, uh, is indicated in those particular scriptures. Now, just where are we then, and is there more detail that can be added? I've been preaching a certain way for now 25 years, and is it provable? Is it all still talking about the future? Is some of it past history? Are we in the middle of some of it? Where do we stand? And how much would God have us know? First of all, let's consider a statement God made that he will do nothing but what he warns through his servants, the prophets. Now, we've been studying the prophetic areas of the Bible, well, all the Bible is prophetic, but I mean specific prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, Daniel, and so on, book of Revelation, now for quite some time. So how do we sum that up? How do we understand if what has been being preached these 25 years is correct or incorrect? I want to get an overview first here of history and what God has done in the past in order that we might understand the current and immediately following events from today on, and try to grasp really just where are we. Now, we learned from Herbert Armstrong that God has a 7,000-year plan for mankind. God did not set this up without giving us some clues as to how long it was all going to take and what would transpire. Now, Herbert Armstrong used different scriptures to show this. I'm not going to go through all of them. You're all quite familiar with them, but a quick review, perhaps, is good. So that we might understand the flow of what has been going on here in the end time, and where it is headed next, and how long is left. Now, Genesis begins to reveal the story where God created all kinds of things in six days. All those things essentially had to do with man. (coughs) He had to bring earth up out of the water for man to live on. He then uh, had to put heavenly bodies to make day and night and the various things that man needs uh, to keep the temperature regulated and so on from the sun. And he created the plants and the animals and everything that we would need to subsist here on this earth for the period of time that we would be here. And he created man himself then, once he had provided an environment for him, and told him to take care of what he had done. And doing that in six days, those six days were specifically for man, <clears throat> to provide what man would need, and then to provide man himself. On the seventh day then, he rested, and looked at what he had made and said it was very good. He had had a good week. (laughs) So then he rested from his works. And he instituted for man a Sabbath to rest once a week on the seventh day. Now, you can't change that around and make it Friday or Sunday or Wednesday, as some religions do. God did it in a specific order for a specific reason. And then Paul uh, adds a great deal to that by showing that that seventh day of the week is not only one we enter into on a weekly basis, but it is a picture or a type of a Sabbath to come. A one-thousand-year Sabbath. Numbers 14.34 is the place we often turn to to indicate that uh, a day is typical or a type of a year. He was talking to ancient Israel there, and he said that uh, 40 days represented 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So we know from Scripture that a day can be represented as a year. Then you go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'll I'll turn to that one. Uh, Here Peter is talking about the end of the age, the coming of the new heavens and the new earth, uh, definitely an end-time prophecy that Peter is explaining here. And here he talked in verse 2 that we should be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. So he told the church, be mindful of what the prophets had to say and of the things that Christ added to that or Uh, embellished or confirmed, if you will, we're to be paying attention to this. And then he introduces the last days and how there would be scoffers and so on, and they'll all say, well, you know, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. It's all the same as it was clear back when Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel were talking. And... They had a case in a way, didn't they? Uh, The end times hadn't yet occurred. The heavens hadn't turned dark. The day of the Lord had not occurred. And yet Peter was talking about it. But he wanted to explode the idea that you can always act thinking you're safe because things haven't changed yet. That's kind of the point. And then he goes on to talk about creation. Uh, The heavens and the earth uh, were formed and are here now. There was earth before Genesis 1-1. There were oceans. Uh, There was probably land before then. And after Satan's rebellion, it had been turned into nothing but water. No land showing anywhere. So it could have been there for... Billions of years, as some scientists think. Where it becomes pertinent to us is not being concerned about 200 billion years, but from Genesis 1 1. And Herbert Armstrong understood that that is not in the beginning, but in a beginning. And he separated the land and cause it to come up out of the water so that man would have a place to be without having to swim like fish. So that is the time that we need to be concerned with is from then on, not before then. You can speculate all you want and dig down through and try to figure out what was uh, before Genesis 1-1 and what was before and after Noah's flood. And that has some pertinence, perhaps, uh, because it's been in our era. But before that, the only thing we need to be concerned about, really, would be Satan's rebellion and what caused the Earth and the universe to be in such turmoil, (coughs) as it to some degree is to this day, with stars and planets with pockmarks on them and all kinds of Uh, difficulties caused by them being thrown around in a huge war between God, Satan, and the angels. I think they were probably using planets and moons and various things then like we would croquet balls, uh, batting them around. Uh, I don't know all that, but there again, it really isn't pertinent. We only have to be concerned with what still is and how it's arranged, and how it affects us, because his purpose, as explained by Herbert Armstrong, was to create a family of people who will become God. And the scripture even says it's not the uh, blasphemy to say that we will be God, because God even says, you are gods. Now... That was a prophecy. (laughs) We aren't yet. But we are made in the image of God, and we have been begotten by His Spirit to grow in character and obedience to the point that He is willing to turn us into God, knowing that having suffered on this earth, we would never go back to what we experienced here. People say, would you like to live your life over? Not a chance. On this earth, it had ups and downs. It had good and bad. Now, in one sense, I'd like to live it over and do better. But if I still had the same in nature, how do you know I'd do better? (laughs) You know, with the same pressures we have today, we started over, we might be just as bad or worse than we were. So no, I don't want to do it over. I want to move on from here to something better. So God set that up. But here in this chapter, Peter says in verse 8, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So God used a day as a year in numbers in dealing with the carnal Israelites in the desert. But here in dealing uh, with the plan of salvation, and it talks about the new heavens and the new earth that we're looking forward to in verse 13, so he's talking about the overall plan of God when the mystery of God shall be revealed, as Paul put it, and this plan and purpose of causing man to become God, would be complete. So a day is as a thousand years. Well, how many days were there at creation? Seven. Six in introducing a place for man and man. A time of rest. And it says in Revelation 5.10 that the saints who have qualified or been counted worthy will reign with Christ a thousand years, what we call the millennium, and that Satan, in Revelation 20, will be bound for a thousand years and not allowed to affect mankind, and that there will be a time of peace for a thousand years. Now, Paul did allude to that, or explain that, actually, in Hebrews 4, and how that seventh thousand years is a time of rest, and Peter makes it very clear that with God, a day is as a thousand years. Well, how long have we been here so far? About 6,000 years since Genesis 1.1. Now let's go to Passover for a moment. Uh, that is the beginning of the explanation through the holy day cycle that goes every year. <coughs> of explaining how man becomes God, and central to that is the Passover and Passover day, immediately the same day, which shows that the whole plan is based on him. With him or without him, nothing was made that was made, is explained in Colossians. So he is central to salvation, as you see all through the Bible and through the whole New Testament. Uh, Without him, there is no salvation. He is the door. He is the way. He is the light. And no man can come in any other form except through him. So God begins explaining his purpose through the holy day cycle by making Christ the central figure there first thing happens is the Passover. Then happens uh, the first holy day, which is that same day, the 14th, a feast and a memorial, which we now understand it didn't before. (coughs) So he's central to the whole plan. Then we have six days of unleavened bread (coughs) following what he did, in which the main instruction is for us to put sin out of our lives. Now, he is the key because any sin that has been committed, he died for. So we have absolution, forgiveness, mercy for our sins, and he is the one who started that process. So then it is our job to, in faith, accept his sacrifice for us, and then continue putting sin out of our lives because we're supposed to become sinless. And as spirit beings, we will be totally sinless. So we don't live a life of sin anymore, but because of human nature, the world around us and Satan, we still make mistakes out of weakness, out of whatever reason we mess up. So that sacrifice is continual throughout the whole process of 7,000 years, plus a little. But the plan is 7,000 years. So Christ is at the forefront, first day, Passover. We then continue to put sin out. So the total, as Ezekiel and other places show, is seven days. Not Passover, and then a donut and pizza day, and then seven more days. Total of seven days, represented by creation again. One day specifically for Christ at the beginning of Passover, and then six for man to continue his part. Now, in the plan of salvation overall, it's 6,000 years for man to do his thing and Satan to do his thing, And then Christ does His thing on the seventh day, at the end of it. But so it's just reverse of Passover. But to start the thing, you had to have Him at the beginning, and then man's part following it. At the other end, you have to have what man and Satan have done, followed by Christ finishing the thing. So He's the beginning, first day of Passover. And he's at the end with the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day. Now again, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was a seven-day festival. The 721 of Haggai is on the last day of the feast. But the eighth day was tacked on. Now, then you'd have to call it a 7100-year plan, wouldn't you? If, it's, if indeed that eighth grade day represents a hundred years, or if a day represents a thousand, maybe it's a thousand years. I don't really know. The Bible does not truly specify, because Isaiah 65 is not talking about that. It's talking about the new heavens and the new earth, uh, which come at the beginning of the millennium, when God from Christ will rule with his Father here on the earth. So it's still a 7,000-year plan. Six days for man and Satan, 1,000 for Christ to rule, and a Sabbath of rest that we will enter into. So how do you tag that off? Well, it's simply a matter of everything that happens in the great white throne judgment will have had its roots in the first 7,000 years. Everything will have been accomplished except the wrap-up, let's say. Because all those people who will be in the great white throne judgment will have lived in the first six, and some perhaps even in the seventh thousand years. So their roots go all the way back from Adam and Eve forward until the end of the 7,000-year plan. But some of those people have not been judged yet. So they will have lived in the first 7,000 years. But they will not have been called yet. And Revelation 20 then talks about at the end of the thousand, of thousand years, they'll come up to be judged. And they have to be judged by the Bible. And some of them were born as little, as babies who died, as abortions who died. Some lived a hundred years and died. Some lived nearly a thousand years back in pre Noatian days and died never having understood the truth. So they will be rooted in the first 7,000 years. He just adds some time on at the end to wrap it all up and finish business, if you will, to make a judgment. And those people have to live probably a 100 years uh, in order to be judged uh, by the Scripture. They will have to be, they'll have to understand the scripture. They'll have to have a chance at following God or not. Just like we now, in our day of salvation, are having to. They'll have the same opportunity. Whether they were aborted or lived physically, they never had opportunity at conversion. Only those few whom God has called now. Well, since Adam down till now. So it's still a 7,000-year plan with a wrap-up at the end to finish uh, the chore of dealing with those who were born only within the 7,000 years. That's why the eighth day is tacked on. So we know there's a 7,000-year plan. Now, how do we follow this? There is an Ezekiel, and I will not go there today. It's fairly complicated, and I don't even remember off the top of my head exactly how it comes together. I've studied through it. But it has to do with the the reign of the kings and what year it was. And you can put it together to realize, I think it's in Ezekiel 43. I believe that's the chapter it's in. Let me look there just for a moment. I'm not going to go through the whole thing uh, and take that much time. I don't really have it, but was it 43 or? No, that's not the right chapter. Well, my eye doesn't fall on Anyway, it gives <coughs> the year of the reign of the king, and from there you can follow forward and prove that that was a jubilee year, okay, a 50th year. Uh, And then you can go ahead through the rest of the Old Testament until Christ's time here and show that that 50th year of Ezekiel equates to 27 A.D. when Christ said there in Luke 4 that he was proclaiming the acceptable year of the eternal. So that's how you can show that that indeed in 27 A.D. was a jubilee year uh, rooted in the scripture in Ezekiel where it can be proved, the sequence, to be correct. So that being the case, 27 A.D. being a jubilee year and God having promised 6,000 years uh, There's only two days left when that occurs because mankind had already lived about 4,000 years before Christ made his appearance on earth. And that you can show. Various scholars, the Jews, different ones, count back man's existence through various genealogies and so on to show that indeed it's been about 4,000 years. Now they come up with uh, a little bit different answers based on whatever it is that they're studying, <clears throat> their perceptions. Uh, some say it was 4,025 B.C. The Jews think it was, what was it, 37 or 3,900 B.C., somewhere right in there. I don't remember the exact date. Uh, but nearly all scholars will put it back about 4,000 years ago. And then when you show the Jubilee sequence, uh, I think it's easy to know when the date of creation was if Christ was here at the end of the fourth day, four thousand years. I'm 27. Was a jubilee? Just count back the equivalent of four thousand years in in fifty year increments, and you got creation day. Quite, quite simple creation year. Then you count forward, which affects us more. That was the end of the fourth day then you have two more days, a day representing a year, as Second Peter 3, 8 shows. Now, is that correct? I think it's pretty easy to see that we are at the end of 2,000 years since Christ was here, right? We, I mean, whether you think it's a year or two left, or whether you think it's 50 or 100 years left, uh, nobody, I don't think, who has any smidgen of religion at all and understands anything about the Bible flow, doesn't think that we're fairly close to the end. So the second year, the second thousand years since Christ is almost complete. Now, can we see a sequence that might fit? through what God has actually done. A historical record, if you please. Now let's look at history beginning at Christ's time, when he actually established the church after three and a half years of his ministry, in 31 A.D. at Pentecost. Acts 2, Joel 2, put together, show that. So he began the church and the conversion process with the conception of the Holy Spirit at that time. People were baptized, had hands laid on them, and uh, the New New Testament church began. Now, he had appointed a ministry to do that through the apostles and then them that they would ordain. And that lasted approximately seven seven years, 70 years, excuse me and disappeared. By the time the Apostle John wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation, (coughs) he was nearing a hundred years of age, and by then, so many false prophets and false Christs and falling away had occurred that the church essentially disappeared. No more to be seen. The Catholic Church emerged thereafter from about that time. Simon Magus began it not long after Christ began the church, and then it superseded the true church and got bigger and bigger and bigger through the ages until it got to what they call a universal church today. And it may be very well involved with uh, the Antichrist and the beast power because Satan began that church through Simon Magus, whom Peter told to go to hell with his money. And it grew and grew under Satan's rule here until it is what it is today, very anti-God, anti-Christian, and loves Satan and Satan's doctrines, and the Pope is a good example of that. So, from history we learn that God allotted about 70 years for the early New Testament church. He said once it began, it wouldn't die out. And you can trace through from that time down through history, even the Middle Ages, a few people here and there who were still keeping the Sabbath, the Holy Days, still had retained a certain amount of knowledge, but nothing was being done. There was no work to be done. God was not trying to get the gospel preached at that time. Why? It wasn't the end of the age. He had started something, and then there was a big lull, and then he started something again. Now, the New Testament is about the end of the age in terms of prophetic fulfillment. The prophet, I mean, the apostles who were prophets, uh, talked about the end time and thought it was in their day, but it wasn't. Uh, There were some things they didn't understand from Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, which I think we could get to and understand today, uh, which would have indicated to them that there was a longer time. Now, Even Peter said a thousand years uh, is as a day, and I'm not sure he fully understood how that applied, because he had thought through his ministry that Christ was returning before he died. Now, he may have come to comprehend, as I think the apostles did, uh, that it wasn't for their time. Toward the end of their lives, they grasped that. Uh, I mean, as they were being taken to be crucified, they realized it wasn't coming in their day. I know they had a little bit of a, a consciousness of that at that point. So how much they understood of what would happen, we don't know. And they would all be decried as false prophets because they didn't understand the timing. No, what they said was true. They just didn't know who meant. Now, Herbert Armstrong falls in that same category. Let's look at history and see if God establishes something. Six days for man... Seventh day for Christ, 7,000-year plan overall, with some time added at the end to deal with those who came out of this first 7,000 years unjudged, who will be given their judgment time. Now, Christ came at a critical juncture, and the timing of his ministry and the timing of the beginning of the church was very specific. So he proclaimed specifically in 27 AD that that was the 50th year, the acceptable year of the Lord, as can be proven in Ezekiel if you count forward. Now, we go through a period of time from, say, 100 AD, when the church fell away, basically, uh, two, through almost two more days, nearly two thousand years, and a man began to understand the truth. He didn't know which day was a Sabbath. As a Quaker growing up, he had kept Sunday. And he thought Sunday was a Sabbath. There's no question about this. Everybody knows Sunday's a Sabbath. And his wife proved that it was Saturday. And he got very haughty about that and decried it and says, that's ridiculous. But since it was his wife and his ego could not stand it, I'm filling in a few words here, he said, I'll prove you wrong. (laughs) That can't be right. So I'm going to prove you wrong. So he began to study and he proved her right. that was in 26, 1926. And through 27, which 26 would represent the 49th year, the year when extra blessings would come. So he got blessed in that 49th year with the Sabbath and some other truths he began to learn. And through 27, uh, which represents the Jubilee year, the 50th year. And from there began a work. Now his job was to do the same things that Christ had told the original apostles to do. You find that in Matthew 28, I think it's 19 and 20, the last two verses of Matthew 28, where he told them to go out and make disciples <coughs> to teach and preach the kingdom of God. And to make disciples. And that was their primary and first instruction and in job to do, if you will. That was their job description. That was also Herbert Armstrong's job description. He didn't know it, but it was. Because that's what he did. Now he thought it was Matthew twenty four fourteen, because he felt the end was near, as did James, Peter, and John, and all of them in their day. So he thought that he had to preach the gospel around the world as a witness, and then the end would come. And he even told me in 1981 that he was Zerubbabel, because in Haggai and Zechariah, that's kind of the story that is there. So he adopted that as being about him, and indeed, I think he was a minor type of that, not the final fulfillment by any means. So, he began a work, which it turned out, over time, we can look back and see that it was basically a calling work, not a final warning. And, in fact, it's hard to go through all the preaching and teaching and broadcast, radio and TV of Worldwide Church of God and find much of a final warning there. You hear about the coming of the kingdom of God and peace and wonderful time and righteousness, emphasis on the Feast of Tabernacle and the Lion and Lamb. Uh, you hear about uh, the millennium. <clears throat> you hear about the mystery of God and our purpose on earth, which is, was true. But very little warning. Now, I can vaguely remember as a child, eight, nine, ten years of age, Herbert Armstrong coming on on XEG and XELO from Mexico, pirate stations. uh, And he got pretty strong about famine, pestilence, and war, and some of the things that would eventually befall this nation. I can remember him preaching some of that pretty strongly, but it didn't last long, and it began to go these other directions because. He, in his mind, thought this is too strong and we need more people to understand, so he modified it and made it a gentler calling thing. And even Ambassador College was not a ministry to preach the end of the world, it was these ambassadors to go out and explain the way of life of God. To draw them, to call them to God through the church. That's what it became. <clears throat> and there's nothing wrong with that, because that's what I think God fully intended it to be. Herbert Armstrong thought he had a, mess, a, a calling, but and God allowed that. Just as the early apostles... Thought their calling was to preach the gospel and then the end would come. He had the same mindset preach the gospel and then the end will come. Now, did he preach a true gospel? Yes, he did. Did we learn a great number of uh, true doctrines? Yes, we did. A way of life, the purpose of mankind? You bet. We learned all those things from that man. And I believe that that was the early stages of Joel II. I didn't grasp this until a few weeks ago, of the early reigns, the former reigns. We learned a lot of true doctrine, limited through Herbert Armstrong. The former reigns were always smaller than the latter reigns. The latter reign, uh, speaking of physical reign. Uh, was always later, and more of it. So we began to get the former reigns, the truth, from Herbert Armstrong, beginning in 1926 and seven onward, until he died. Now, after the church began, just like in the early New Testament, after about 70 years, it fell apart and died. And we've learned that that was Sardis. It died. And only a few names remain out of Sardis, Sardis, is the way Revelation 3 puts it. So that is how God began. But let's concentrate a little bit on the time frame. That, from, from Luke 4, 27 A.D., represented... 1,900 years since Christ uh, proclaimed the Jubilee. Herbert Armstrong himself said, The gospel has not been preached for 1,900 years. He said that over and over again. From the time the apostles started and quit until he began in 1926 and twenty-seven. To receive the former reigns, the truth, and begin to proclaim it, first to a very small group and then bigger. It started really with one man, didn't it? And his wife, if you will. She didn't get the whole picture by any means, but she had proved when the Sabbath was. That was her main contribution, if you will. The other things he learned from his own study, or perhaps somewhat from others, or however it came, but it began to form a body of doctrine. So it happened on the Jubilee cycle, 1926-1927. And he could see it was 38 time cycles since Christ, 1900 years. 50 years times 19 is uh, 1900 years. So, there you have that. Well, does that give us, then, some information that is usable? Ezekiel established the 50-year cycle. Christ confirmed it in Luke 4 as 27 A.D., the Jubilee. Then Herbert Armstrong began in 1926, the 49th year, and the the 49th and 50th year meld together. So it was a 1926-27 time frame that that all began. And really the preparation for Christ's ministry began in 26 AD and he began it officially in 27 and preached for three and a half years. So uh, you have to have, and I think that the end time uh, has to confirm this, It has to include it in order for us to understand the very end of it all. Because Christ returns, and then there's a year of the seven last plagues and his honeymoon before the jubilee year begins, and he can come down and proclaim the jubilee and begin the millennium on the 50th year. So the 49th is important because it includes the first resurrection, and then the jubilee begins a year later. Now, I'm not saying the day or the hour, but I think I can substantiate what I've just said and have in the past, but I want to put it all together here for us so we can grasp what is history, what is current, and what is still prophecy. So he preached for 26 to 86 when he died, about 60 years, and then 10 years of coming apart at the seams and uh, entering the nursing home, if you will, and lasted about another 10 years, and I think you could say that it was pretty well dead by 1996, there wasn't much left. Okay, so about 70 years. With the early New Testament church, you could add or subtract a year or two or three, but approximately 70 years and it disappeared. Just as approximately 70 years from the time it began with Herbert Armstrong until it disappeared was about 70 years, okay? So, If we have a timeline established as 1926, 1900 years after Christ's proclamation in 27, uh, if you have two more time cycles, two more 50-year periods, jubilees, where does it put you? 2026 and 27, right? Uh, That's 2,000 years since Christ made that proclamation in 27 A.D. And he corroborated what he said (coughs) by raising Herbert Armstrong up in the exact same time frame. Was that a fulfillment? Could he have done it in 1921? Could he have done it in 1931? He could have raised him up any time he wanted to, right? But when did he? 1926 and 27, Those two years. Exactly 1,900 years after Christ had proclaimed it. Now, what does that leave you then? If there were 2,000 years left, and he waited until 1926 to start it, that only leaves you another hundred years, right? Till it is a complete seven days, six, seven thousand. No, I mean six days, six thousand years for man and Satan. So we were here for four thousand. Christ came, and two thousand more is six. That's the end of man and Satan. Then Christ begins His reign, the seventh day, the Sabbath. I can't deny what Herbert Armstrong said in 19, about 1926 and twenty-seven. He was the first man in 1900 years that was raised up. Now, the, the apostles were raised up to do it in 31 AD after Christ proclaimed the Jubilee. Uh, then he finished his ministry. Then he called them. Then they went on forward. But he doesn't count from John the Apostle's death. It counts from his life and his ministry up forward to Herbert Armstrong's life and his ministry. And then what goes on after that. Now, I've brought in uh, what Christ said there in Matthew 24 or 5, wherever it is, that it would be as in the days of Noah. Now, we've always generally uh, ascribed that to mean the conditions in the world which are very, very much the same as in Noah's day. All kinds of sin and violence going on. And that's where we are today. Uh, This is a whole different world than I knew as a child. You think about it, you who are a little bit older. This is a different world than you grew up in. And it gets worse every year that goes by. And right now, it's just coming apart at the seams. So, I think that God was also saying something prophetic. Even Peter used Noah as an example when he was talking about the end of the age there in 2 Peter 3, right? Let's go back there and review that right quickly. 2 Peter 3. Here he's talking about the end of the age. Uh Verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So he refers to the time before Genesis 1 1, and then he refers to the way the world has been since. And then he skips forward. To the day of the Lord and the end of all this thing. And then he makes it very clear that it's based on a day representing 7,000 years. We probably understand it better today even than he did then. Because he was still limited and was apparently thinking it was still coming in his day. Might have had some inkling by the time he wrote that, I don't know But we know now that there's been 2,000 years approximately since he wrote that. And that now uh, the 6,000 years is almost done. So God established something. And he does things on time and doesn't miss. He's very specific. So for him to raise up the truth, the way of life, the gospel of the kingdom beginning in 26 and 27 has to be very, very important. And if this world is the same basically as that of Noah, and that was a hundred years he had. Some scholars say a hundred and twenty, but I can't find that. It's just a hundred, unless I'm missing something. So he gave Noah a hundred years to do that work, before the world came apart and ended for that generation of people, So he started with Herbert Armstrong in 1926 and 27, and allotted a hundred years for all of these end-time prophecies to occur until it wraps up and comes to an end and the earth has fallen apart and most men killed, as Isaiah 24 points out. Very few left. Daniel says, what is it, 100 million, which is very few compared to 8 point whatever billion it is today. So, 6,000 years were allotted. They have essentially gone by, and I think he gives us a timeline in 1926 and 27, which Christ actually announced in 27 A.D., and you go back into Ezekiel, That way you have two witnesses, one from the Old Testament, Ezekiel, one from the New Testament, in Christ, to corroborate that this is indeed the 50-year cycle. Then it is now a matter of history, not prophecy, that God would raise up the church at the end time, which he did, 26 and 27. Then if he also gives, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and works in patterns, if he used Noah in the beginning to have a hundred years before it would all come to an end for mankind, with only a few saved, would he not use the same thing here at the end, a hundred years, to have it all preached, taught, developed, and then come to an end with few men left, As in Noah's day. Not just eight, but a hundred million. Makes sense to me. So if it's on a jubilee cycle, which it clearly is, 6,000 years is 50 times 3,000, not 3,000, whatever it is. Uh, Then 2026-27 will be the end of the hundred years of God dealing here at the end time. Now, we've got a lot of events that have to occur, if that's the case, between now and then, right? There's an awful lot of prophecies in here that have to come to pass, and have to come to pass pretty swiftly now. Can you deny what well, we've just been talking about here? In terms of how God has done it in the past, the announcements he's made through the prophets, the greatest prophet, Christ... Who declared the Jubilee in 27 A.D. to be the correct sequence as Ezekiel had shown. And then exactly 1900 years later begun the end time work which would end at the end of 6,000 years, 100 years later, two Jubilees from the time Herbert Armstrong was called. Makes perfect sense but does it fit what you see going on around you and in the church? There's another question. Now, since Herbert Armstrong obviously was not the end time Elijah, he did not proclaim the gospel and then the end come. He was not One of the final two witnesses against the world. He he had a basically friendly message toward the world, a calling message. Does that not fit what God said? Many would be called, few chosen. So many were called into worldwide, and then we had a great spewing out, and from that spewing, a few are going to be recalled, if you will. ...to do a final work. It's a new calling. It may be the same conversion process... ...and there'll be old people around who were part of the former... ...but it says they'll also be part of the latter and be able to compare. So that puts it in a time frame that allows for people of the generation... ...that was called under Herbert Armstrong... ...some of them to still be around to see the end of all this. This generation will not pass through until these things are completed. They'll be able to have seen the whole thing develop and finish. So that limits it in time, doesn't it? It can't be another two or three hundred years. Because if the work of Herbert Armstrong was the true church, and I firmly believe it was, then it all has to be finished before the old people who survived that are dead. So when somebody says, well, it's still three or four hundred years off, baloney. Can't be. God didn't start this thing too early. He started it right on time. And it will end right on time. God is not slack concerning his promise, 2 Peter 3.8. It will happen on time. Now, do you and I know what time that is? Well, I think we've begun an explanation here that will tell us that that may indeed be correct. Now, if Herbert Armstrong was not the end, if he was the calling part and then there are those who are chosen for the latter temple, you would expect from something to happen at some point to see how that is going to develop. If you only got a 100 years to do it, and he preached for 60, and basically everything he had done had come undone after 70 years, would you not expect... A new beginning of some kind, somehow, somewhere, to do the latter temple. When would you expect it to happen, knowing what we just covered? Well, the early New Testament was about 70 years, and the job that they had done as a calling work was finished. When Herbert Armstrong began, about 70 years later, it was all finished. The early New Testament church came apart over a period of years after most of the apostles were killed and only John remained. So it's the same type sequence. There was strong preaching and many came and then there was a great falling away and the apostles died And John oversaw the very last of it to give us 1st, 2nd, 3rd John to tell us that love and the commandments is indeed the way after all is said and done. And in the book of Revelation to be about the end times. Fitting Daniel, which was also for the end times, but would be sealed up and not be able to be understood until the end. So there's a witness in Daniel and a witness in Revelation. One was sealed until Revelation began to be done. Old Testament witness, New Testament witness. All fits together. Did not Peter say at the beginning of chapter 3 the things that the Old Testament prophets said plus what Christ added? So Old and New Testament together. So here we are almost the end of 6,000 years and we're almost at the end of the current 50 year jubilee cycle only a few years remain and the 100 years from Herbert Armstrong's call will be finished is there another that would make 6,050 years that's not correct can't be another has to be on time God is on time He's not late for appointments. He has it right. He gets it right. He can make it happen. You and I sit back and say, oh, how's this going to happen? And there are things beyond our control that we can't make happen. God's not that way. He can say, this will be done. And no matter what else comes up, he can make it happen. Satan, man, doesn't matter. He's over it all. He's sovereign in the universe. Rules everything. I want to get into another section of this, so maybe we won't, uh, maybe we won't go on from here. But I wanted to establish this overview of 6,000 years, and then a 7,000 years, which the Bible clearly proclaims, then we have to fit the events into that framework, and then it becomes pretty clear that Herbert Armstrong had to fit that framework, since there was no one but him proclaiming the gospel. There There was no other religious organization or church proclaiming the Sabbath, the holy days, the purpose of mankind, all the things that he preached that were the way, the truth. No one else was preaching. He said he was the first to preach it in 1900 years. Now, some understood a little, and they may have talked among themselves or had a little group of, together sometime in the Middle Ages, but nobody nobody was proclaiming it in a way that could be spread. I think that's the point. Uh, Calvin or some of those people might have understood a few things and kept them. There were a few who came from England and the and Europe when they arrived here, in Rhode Island particularly, who were keeping the Holy Holy Days and uh, the Sabbath, and weren't keeping Christmas and Easter and so on. So there were a few, but they were not getting anywhere or doing anything, and they were not doing a calling work, which had to be done here at the end. And they quickly got shouted down and forgotten about as America developed. So that couldn't have been what God was talking about when he said the gospel has to be proclaimed in the kingdom of God preached so Herbert Armstrong began the process by doing a calling work that fell apart in about 70 years and we could bury it as Sardis somewhere about that time so then what's next he's dead he's buried he's been dead over 30 years The end hasn't come. The gospel is not now being proclaimed around the world as a witness, is it? Where do you know that the gospel is being proclaimed as a witness around the world? It's not happening. There are a few little groups that have tried to redo what Herbert Armstrong did, and they're having very poor success at it. They're still on a little bit of radio, a little bit of television, whatever, and they think they're doing a work. But, you know, it has to be done in spirit and in truth. So when you get one like I mentioned last week who claims he took the mantle, Herbert Armstrong didn't give it to him, he took Elijah's mantle and became Elijah, or Elisha, and is going to do greater works than Herbert Armstrong did. That hasn't happened, has it? Not at all. Oh, he's got some radio, got some TV, built some things that are supposed to be just like Herbert Armstrong's, only better, and aren't. So it's not happening the way he envisioned or United or Living or any of these others who decided they would redo Herbert Armstrong. They haven't been able to accomplish it. Are they anywhere near What her what worldwide Church of God was. In numbers, in power, in money, in broadcasting, in plain truths, and any of that. No, they don't even come close. They're still there, but as Isaiah thirty nine says, they're eunuchs out in the world, powerless to reproduce on a spiritual level. So he was the one who began to preach the gospel as a calling work. The around the world is a witness, and then the income is yet to follow. It isn't being done today. I don't think you could point anywhere and say this is obviously a fulfillment of that. The beast hasn't even arisen. The two witnesses are not out there for three and a half years doing this, and that's who the Bible says will do it. And since Herbert Armstrong turned out not to be the final episode, and they're not out there doing it right now, then it's yet to come. And it can't be any of these groups who claim to be preaching the gospel around the world as a witness. The church isn't in Zion, and they aren't going around the world as two men preaching to each city and fulfilling Revelation 11. It's just not going on. So we got a period of time here from Herbert Armstrong as the former church of Haggai and the latter church under the two witnesses with the remnant of the church to come and build the final temple. And there gotta be some of us who saw the former who will be able to see the latter and its greatest glory in the end. So it's got to come pretty soon. Let's leave it today on that basis.